I wanted to do a series on biblical values leading up to the election, and my intention was to have preached this message last Sunday and the message I preached last Sunday during the week that we did our Halloween and I preached on identity. But I think that God has a plan, and uh, I am quite sure that this is the message that we're supposed to have today. It appears that we will have a new president And you may think that's a great thing, or you may not think that's a great thing. But what I want to encourage you with today is the knowledge that freedom is a biblical value. There's a very real possibility that freedoms will be limited in the coming days. We have already experienced that ostensibly as the uh, under the the strictures of executive orders due to COVID. Um, Our experience in this church, although anecdotal, I don't think is isolated, and that is that this is not nearly as deadly or as dangerous as we were led to believe. It is certainly not a clear and present danger uh, like the plague or something along those lines. But nonetheless, it is being used to limit people's attendance at church. Fear is causing people to stay home. Now, I'm not saying anything about those who actually have uh, pre-existing conditions that could result in uh, some some tragic consequences were they to uh, contract COVID. But I am saying that when we're talking about young people and we're forcing them not to go to school and to stay at home, then the so-called cure is far worse than the disease. You need to fight for your freedom. But I want you to understand that this isn't just an American value. This is a biblical value, right? So I gave you that little, uh, that little dilemma. Can God make a rock so heavy he can't lift it? And then I illustrated that with the kids. But he gave you free will. He gave you the capacity to resist him. That's because he chooses to limit himself. Now, there are some clear indicators, logically speaking, that that is the case. First of all, we're living in a fallen world that is in rebellion against God right now. If God got what he wanted every day, then the, or the world would not be in rebellion. You wouldn't have people who are capable of resisting God. He would simply do what he wanted to do. But he has chosen to limit himself in favor of granting you a free will and allowing you to see the consequences of your choices, whether those consequences are good or whether they are bad. The first question in the outline is, can God make a rock so heavy he can't lift it? And there's a yes and a no there. So if you're following my logic here, then you're going to circle the why there because God is capable of limiting himself, okay? Uh, So the fallen world is a clear indicator that that is true. And secondly, the existence of hell is a clear indicator that that is true. I want you to think about something. Do you think God wants anybody to go to hell? No. In fact, uh, very clearly, this is what the scripture says. This was in our passage uh, on Wednesday night last week, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. The promise it's referring to is Jesus' return, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If you want to know why Jesus is waiting to return, it's so you can make up your mind, so your family can make up their minds, so your friends can make up their mind. God is giving you the opportunity to decide whether you want to spend eternity with him or not. But what you need to understand is there's not an alternate universe. There's not another place that you go outside of the presence of God except hell. And by definition, hell is where God is not, where there is no love, where there's no life, where there's no hope, 
where there's no future. There's just you paying the penalty for resisting God. When we resist God, when we rebel against God, that's called sin. Sin falls short of God's design for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So the existence of hell is a clear indicator that God is capable of limiting himself and that people can choose to go there in spite of God's contrary wish is a clear indicator that he has given you the ability to resist him. That's freedom. Uh, there's another verse that I, I think uh, bears witness to this as well. Um, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He desires how many people to be saved? Are all people saved? Then God is not getting his desire. Now, some people think that that's a fault with God, but that's not true. God has chosen for his greater glory and for the purpose of granting you a free will to freely love him, he's chosen to give you the ability, the capacity to resist him. So this is why I say that I believe very firmly that freedom is a gift from God. Number three in your outline, God wants you to love him. That's his desire. His fervent desire is for you to love him, right? Jesus was asked by a lawyer one time, and this would be a religious lawyer, not one of our lawyers today. Um, but uh, the religious lawyer asked Jesus, what, what is the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment? And then Jesus quoted uh, the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6.5, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is one, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's what God wants. That's what he commands, that you love him with all you are, but he gives you the capacity to do that freely. He doesn't zap your mind and turn you into some sort of a, uh, a love robot. You choose to love God, or you choose not to love God. It's entirely up to you. But that is what God wants. And by the way, that is what is behind all of worship. And number four, I think you would agree with me, love that is coerced is not love. We could use another word there that I won't use, but you can understand. You can't force love. You can't force your partner to love you. You can't force your kids to love you. You can't force that person that you wish would love you to love you. You can't. People simply freely choose to love or not to love. It's not a feeling, although it is accompanied by a great number of feelings. It's very, very powerful. It's very, very overwhelming. But when people rely on the feeling side of things, they may feel that they love someone and then feel that they don't love someone. But love is a decision. It's a determination. It's the determination to act in the best interest of the one that you freely decide to love. So God does want you to love him. He wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, with everything you are, but he's not forcing that. He's providing you with ample evidence that he is worthy. Amen? Amen. But you know, some of us will focus on the negatives. Right. We'll focus on bad things that have happened to us. One of the reasons that people give for not loving God or turning away from God may be uh, what 
us theologians like to call the question of theodicy, and that is, if we have this all-powerful, all-loving God, then why is there evil in the world? Well, I've just given you the primary answer. There's evil in the world because God has chosen to create human beings that are capable of resisting him. They do resist him. They've turned away from him, and they have created a hell on earth both because of the decisions that they make and because the earth is now separated from God. Not entirely. He still rules over the heavens and the earth via his laws. But you and I need to understand that the world is separated from God, and that's why we see so much evil going on. Evil is what happens when there's no God, when there's the absence of God. But you may freely choose to put yourself in Christ's hands. You may freely choose to harbor yourself, to shelter yourself in the protection of Almighty God, and he will watch over you, and he will protect you. But that doesn't mean he will keep you from all suffering, because down here on earth, suffering is part of the perfection process. Amen? We don't like it, but it's one of the things that makes you a better person, a better Christian, a better follower of Jesus, if you will allow that suffering to mold you and shape you and cause you to be more trusting to God, right? Number five, God also wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus continued in the same passage that I quoted earlier. I didn't tell you the, the address of the passage, but it's from Matthew 22, verses, uh, starts around verse 34 and goes through all the way, I think, through 41. But Jesus said, this is the number one command of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he immediately said, he probably didn't even take a breath. He immediately said, and the second, which is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that actually comes from Leviticus. Now, I know a lot of us think, well, you know, the Leviticus, we're not under all that law anymore, so we're just going to step away from it. Listen, the Bible is the Bible, and we need to learn from all of it. Amen? Amen. And so here's Leviticus 19, 18. And by the way, you read Leviticus 18 and 19, and you're going to see some uh, strictures against certain uh, sexual practices that are being disobeyed in our country today on a regular basis. Uh, God's nature hasn't changed. God's opinion hasn't changed. God doesn't change. People change. Time, because we're in a, a world that is subject to time, things change over time, okay? In time, the Grand Canyon was dug by water and wind, but nonetheless, God doesn't change. The scripture says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever, amen? amen. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The word of God doesn't change because the word of God comes from God and God doesn't change. He is an unchanging God. So he still holds that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we all love ourselves imperfectly. Some of us are uh, egregious in our sense of entitlement. We think we deserve this, and we think we deserve that, and so forth, right? Some of us are, are more oriented towards self-loathing. Maybe for whatever reason, you don't like yourself. You don't love yourself. This is why Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another even as I have loved you. So the secret to healthy self-perspective is to allow God to love you, to allow Jesus to love you, and then love other people the way he loves you, and he loves you unconditionally. He loves you in spite of your frailties. He loves you in spite of your mistakes. He loves you even in spite of some of the rebellion, really all of the rebellion, but in the end, the rebellion needs to end, amen? amen. I need to repent. I need to say yes when God says yes and no when God says no. So... Um, God also wants me to love my neighbor as myself. So now, number six, I want you to apply this to government and society. 
right? We must each be free to choose our own path in life, and that freedom must only be limited when it obviously harms or significantly impairs the freedom of others. In other words, you're free to swing your fist until it makes connection with somebody else's nose. You following me here? You should be free. Uh, what we have is we have an increasingly encroaching nanny state that is telling us who can work, whose work is essential, whose work is not essential. And unfortunately, this seems to have lined up politically with certain parties. So if you're in California, church is not essential and you're not allowed to meet. You're not allowed to. Stay home until January, until Governor Newsom says you can meet. So you heard one of those blessed people that came from another country and said they wouldn't let us go to church. And here we are in the United States of America and we're being told we can't go to church. Are you kidding me right now? What country are we in? So, what I'm going to say to you, this is God's right to you. That's exactly what the Declaration of Independence begins with. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed with their creator with certain inalienable rights. What does inalienable mean? That means that nobody can cross them or cross them off. God gave you those rights. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Those are your rights from Almighty God. If God is willing to limit himself and say that you can rebel against him, then he has given you freedom as a gift. And you and I need to have that freedom to freely exercise the ability to say yes or no to God. I don't think that anybody should be forced to go to church. I really don't. Now, that doesn't mean those of you that have kids and they want to sleep in and you make them go to church. No, just make them go to church. They don't know what they want at that age, okay? Which, by the way, if you're making up your mind as to whether you're going to send your kid to school in person or not in person by how they feel, may I just step in at the risk of sounding like I am telling you what to do and say that that is not very wise. Kids don't want to go to school a lot of times, and now they've got a great excuse. Oh, Mom, I'm afraid of COVID. Oh, honey, you are? Okay. No, man. You need to train them up the way they need to go. But you know what? And again, I, I know, I'm stepping in, single guy. What do I know, right? Okay. You need to let them start making their own decisions. Gradually. As they show responsibility, you need to, you need to let them step out. And guess what? You need to let them start making mistakes. That means that there's times when they're going to trip and they're going to fall and they're going to bloody their hands and their knees, maybe bust their nose, all right? Moms, you're still there to take them in, right? Dad, you're still there to say, get some dirt on that and go out and play. That's what my baseball coach used to say. You skinned your knee. He's like, throw some dirt on that and get back out there. Well, he said, well, why throw dirt on it? Well, because it makes it coagulate faster. You guys are like, oh, no, there might be COVID in the dirt. They're just, who knows what my baby would get? What kind of abusive coach did you have? He was a manly coach. <laughs> and I'm okay. And we're all okay. And by the way, there's a new president, it looks like. And I don't see a bunch of people running for cry rooms 
I don't see protests. I don't see riots. I just see people saying, okay, we like this, or we don't like this, and we're going to stand against this or we're not. Isn't that interesting? Mark that down when you make your decisions and you make your determinations as to who you want in leadership, by the way, right? All right. So I want you to understand that you have this gift that is given to you by God and the government can't take it away. Can I also say this? In the preamble to the Constitution, it begins, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union. We the people give the right to government to govern us. The government doesn't give us freedom and rights. You need to understand the country you're living in, and that aligns with the Word of God. This country was started by religious dissidents. Did you know that? How many of you have heard of the wall of separation between church and state? Okay. And there are those that would say, well, that's not actually in the Constitution and so forth. Listen, okay. Religious dissidents coming from England came to this country and settled it. Now, Granted, there were Native Americans that were already here, okay? And that's a whole other um, uh, argument. But they settled this country, and they settled in their communities, and there were those that, for instance, where Massachusetts is today, they created a commonwealth there that was oriented toward Calvinism and Presbyterianism. That meant that they were initially, before the United States became its own country, they wanted to establish that as the religion that you were permitted to practice and the others were not permitted. So you had a a Baptist by the name of Roger Williams that said, no, this isn't right. So he went to Rhode Island and founded the first Baptist church there. The letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote in which he coined the phrase, the, the wall of separation between church and state, it was written to the Danbury Baptists. I still would hold strongly to Baptist theology and ideology because it aligns, I think, with this idea that we're talking about, individual priesthood of the believer. That means you have the right before God to interpret and to determine your own future. There's not a priest between you and God, all right, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. Baptists were dissidents. They said, we just want to be able to worship freely, We don't want you to tell us that we have to go to church at your church, that we can't worship in this way. Well, that became the law of the land. That became the rule, right? So I want you to understand then that the First Amendment to the Constitution reinforces a biblical value and reflects God's will. Here's the First Amendment. This is not the Bible, but I believe the First Amendment reinforces what I've been telling you. And you and I are going to need to hang on to the Constitution in the coming days and coming years. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. What does that mean? Does that mean the country is to be an atheist country? No, they cannot make a law that says you must be a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, a Presbyterian, a Methodist, a Baptist. They can't make that law. That doesn't mean that those who are in office cannot freely express their faith. That doesn't mean that you can't freely pray. Okay, that doesn't mean that you can't put uh, a creche, uh, a manger scene, right, outside on, on public property. But you need to understand that this establishment clause was designed to keep you free, and it is immediately followed by the free exercise clause. Or Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That includes 
executive orders that force you to stay home when there is no clear and present danger for you to do so. Now, I'm just going to tell you this right up front. I've been telling people this face to face. I will not be closing the doors of this church again, period. I don't care what Clay Jenkins says. I don't care what the president of the United States says. We get our rights to worship from Almighty God, and I'm not closing these doors. Now, I'm going to be wise. If I see that COVID is spreading like wildfire and people are dropping dead all over the place, then, of course, I'm going to be wise, right? I'm still going to rely on you to be smart and protect your own health. But from what I see right now, that's nonsense. This is all a bit of nonsense, and I'm not doing it. Now, they may press in and say, well, we're going to write you a a ticket. I don't know if you remember what happened in March. But a county judge that most of us had never heard of was capable of telling 2.6 million people, you have to stay inside your house, and if you leave your house, I'm going to make sure that you get a ticket that will put you in jail for six months and write you a $1,000 fine. That's an abomination. And we were all so scared. We were willing to deal with that, and I am not willing to deal with that anymore. I'm not. Now, if they're out riding tickets, you're the one taking the risk. We're still going to be on YouTube as long as YouTube allows us. You take a look at a couple of the previous sermons that I preached, and you look at some of the, uh, the practices on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and so forth of censorship, and you're going to find that we may end up having to put our, our service on our own website with our own private server. Now, we can do that. I think fewer people are going to be able to see it. I don't know what's going to happen in the coming years, but I'm preparing you with a message that helps you to understand that the government doesn't give you your rights, and the government can't take them away. The scripture is clear. It says that God empowers the government, governors, puts them in power so that they may punish the wicked and praise the good. Please tell me how it is wicked for you to go out and work your job. Oh, but you're not an essential worker. Please tell me how it's wicked for you to go outside your house. Please tell me how it's wicked for a person who is out in the middle of uh, the beach somewhere in California surfing who got chased down by their police and ticketed. Please tell me exactly what's evil about that. Nothing. This is wickedness. And I am holding to my rights, and I am strengthening you to hold on to your rights. Because that's who we are as Americans, but more importantly, that's who we should be as Christians. Now, First Amendment continues. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech. Well, we see that all over the place, don't we? You're only allowed to speak if you're speaking in accordance with the accepted, politically acceptable speech and agenda, right? That's not what this says. That's not what this says at all. The only way of limiting this, uh, according to one Supreme Court decision, is the kind of speech that would incite uh, some sort of a, a riot, if you will. And the justice that wrote that decision said, like crying fire in a crowded movie house. 
Well, that speech is not protected because, first of all, it's a lie and there's no fire and you just caused a huge uproar and you caused a problem. So this isn't to say that you can just say anything anywhere, although we have media outlets that regularly lie to us and they will hold this as their protection. But I'm not allowed to say that homosexuality is a sin. I'm not allowed to say that abortion is wrong. Not according to these people. If I was getting more hearers on YouTube, you would see censorship. Okay, but I'm not. So, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody that they're worried about. But I'm just telling you, this is what we are granted. This is what God gives us the right to. This is what our Constitution gives us the right to. And I do thank Almighty God that there are at least six Supreme Court justices right now that are going to interpret the Constitution as the Constitution and not import meaning into it. Amen. They're originalists. That means they're going to look at how it was originally written and seek to apply it accordingly. And I believe that God put that protection in place because of what we're going to deal with over the next two to four years. Amen. So the question is, number eight, what are you doing with your freedom? Are you loving yourself or are you loving God and others? As a Christian, I want to align my will with God's will. As a Christian, I want to choose to love God and love people. Now, free choice doesn't mean that there are not repercussions. There are not consequences for that, right? You can go out and, and drink too much and take drugs and abuse your body, and you're going to be dealing with the consequences of that. Now, I don't know what, the, what was wrong with the young lady, but there was a young lady that uh, was carrying a bag and was obviously in a rough place, um, walking down the, the, the uh, breezeway here beside the church on uh, Friday, I think it was, and uh, she didn't have any shoes on. She was just wearing so socks. And uh, those of you that are out there, you might, you might have seen this lady. And she didn't, I, I kind of half expected her because a lot of times somebody, you know, will see you, you're with a church and they immediately stop and they want something. But she didn't ask for anything. She was just in a zone, man. She was, and she had this bag, this plastic bag, she was just stumbling along. Now, this is not an older lady, like, like that, you know, the, the, her body was giving out or something. Like this is, I'm guessing she was probably in her 30s. And then I saw her digging in trash cans out here and actually taking food out and eating that food. She didn't have shoes. Rachel left some snacks up here on the, on the counter that she brought in to, to hand out. And so I watched her and I prayed as she walked around the square and dug in each trash can around the square. And then she went across the street and she went into the guitar store over there. I don't know why that was. I was like, oh, maybe she knows somebody in there. And she didn't look like somebody that was going to go buy a guitar. I don't know. But then she came out and I was, you know, kind of waiting. And I, I knew, now somebody, by the way, I'm sorry, if you left your slip-on sh uh, black shoes here, one of you ladies, but they're not here anymore because you left them here for a few weeks and that lady needed shoes. So bless your heart. You're a blessing to somebody. They were sitting back there, uh, about where Miss Annette is sitting right now. There was a chair there and they had, there were, th those shoes were under. So I took them to the back room hoping that somebody would pick it. You guys leave stuff laying around and then you don't come get it, Right. What do you want me to do? Just keep it forever? Do I have a, a lost and found wall that I hang stuff on? You got to figure out, right? I left my stuff at the church. Okay. So, man, I got those shoes. I got a bag of those craisins, and I got some fruit, and I walked out there to her, 
And I, you know, I said, hey, I noticed you were walking along without any shoes and whatever, and she just kind of looked bleary. I just kind of looked up at me like, she's just out of it, man, right? She had some places on her face that at her age and looking at her complexion were probably not natural acne, so my suspicion was meth. Uh, people that do meth often pick their face, right? They feel like there are bugs on them and they scratch their face. You'll see uh, meth users that will have these marks all over, these scabs and, and healing scabs all over their face. And she had one that was like that, whatever. And I could tell that if she hadn't gone down such a path that she'd apparently gone down, that she would be a nice looking lady, but she didn't look that nice. She looked like she was having a rough day, a rough life. Rough world. So I gave her the shoes, and then she said, yeah, she said, I have some boots. I left my boots in my house. And I said, well, I said, you can use these shoes as long as you need to use them. And praise God, whoever of you left, you had the same size foot as this lady. So she slipped her feet right in, you know, and she just, you know, oblivious. she didn't say thank you or anything. I don't care. You know, I want her walking around out there bare feet. And she tore into those craisins, and she was just like shoving them in her mouth, and they were falling off, you know, whatever. I'm not telling this story to try to make light of her or make her feel bad or make you think I'm a wonderful person or something. I'm trying to help you understand people make decisions and then they have to live with the consequences of their decisions. You're living with the consequences of the choices that you're making in your life. You are. And you need to understand that and realize that. You can't just be free to do and say whatever you want to do and say. You are, but every choice you make limits future choices you will make. Do you understand? When you choose to align your will with God's will, God is the one that created you. He is the one who will call you. He is the one who will direct your life. He is the one who will give you freedom that you couldn't even imagine without him. What did Jesus say? He said, if you're truly my disciples, then you will obey my teaching. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. People like that, little phrase, the truth will set you free. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you obey my teaching, then you're really my followers, really my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, the reality is you and I are apt to make decisions, choices, there are consequences to sin that limit your future choices. Jesus said very clearly, the person that sins is a slave. You may think, well, I can do whatever I want to do. So I can go out and get drunk, and get high and sleep around and do this and do that and, you know, change my gender and, you know, whatever I'm going to do. There, you are limiting yourself. There are consequences of all of your choices. So I had a video that I played several years ago when we were dealing with all of the, uh, the issues related to uh, LGBT in the wake of the Obergefell decision, uh, the Supreme Court decision that um, legalized same-sex marriage. And uh, there was a video of uh, a transgender woman that changed back to being a man. And there was this really, this whole... Um, this whole backstory behind this, um, not all folks that are, are quote-unquote transgender or transsexual today um, go through the surgery that would 
completely alter their physical body. Typically, they maintain the hardware, we will say, that they were born with, but they take hormones that will produce the desired effect, okay? So uh, a woman who could not grow a beard now is growing a beard, has breast reduction surgery, all these things. Well, this man was doing the transgender when this was, uh, the, the prevailing wisdom was, well, you go and you get the full surgery. So he had everything removed. And then as he started living his life, he encountered Christ. And then he decided that he wanted to live his life as a man again, but he'd already made these decisions that limited some of what he could do when it came to that. He no longer had male hardware. He had it removed. So he wanted to live his life as a man, and then he started going to the gym with a friend of his, but now he's worried about going into the men's locker room even though he's a man by birth because he doesn't look like that anymore. And this caused him to kind of relapse and go back, and, and so he went back and forth. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm, I'm trying to help you to understand. You may think you're exercising freedom, but you're limiting choices one way or the other. You need to go along the lines that God has designed, and then you will be truly free. The scripture says, if you are, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, if you sin, you're a slave to sin, right? In fact, let me get to that verse so I can read the whole thing. This is just a few verses down from the passage I just quoted, John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then just a couple verses down, John 8, 34 through 36, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, when Jesus hits you with a truly, truly, that's a double amen. That means you need to pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen? Yes. You want to be free? Follow Jesus. Now, that means you're going to have to say no to certain things. You're going to have to say no to yourself at times. But my friends, self-discipline is not a bad thing. I often tell people discipline is about saying, uh, doing things that you don't want to do so that you can do things you do want to do. So let's say that I wanted to go run. Uh, I'm never going to run a marathon. I'm never even going to run a half marathon. I've run 5Ks. You know, let's say I want to run a 10K. All right. Well, right now I'm not in shape to run a 10K. I would barf up along at about 3K or 4K. Okay, but let's say I really, really want to be able to do that. Right now, I am not free to do that. In fact, it would be hard for me to finish a 5K right now. I keep starting to run again, and then I don't, and then I start, and then I don't. You've got to get your cardiovascular in condition to do it. So if I really want to be a runner, let's say Lige just runs all over the world. I mean, he's just all like, oh, yeah, I ran 12 miles today. I'm like, well, that's good for you. <laughs> oh, I ran six miles today. Well, golly, Lige, slacker. <laughs> but let's say, hey, man, I want to run with Lige. I want, you know, I want to go out and, you know, I want to grow my hair and my beard out and do this as I run and stuff. Because I would imagine that's what he does. He does, he does these videos of, of himself now, and he's do, vlogging and whatever, and uh, he showed me one the other day, and he wasn't doing that, but I would. I would. <laughs> I would be hearing the chariots of fire, dun, da, 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 you know. 
But that chariots of fire guy, Eric Little, said, I feel God's pleasure when I run. I don't. I feel horrible. But if I wanted to do that, I would have to discipline myself. So I got kids in my karate class, and uh, a young man earlier today uh, was saying, you know, he was in my karate class. I said, man, you're really good at karate. I've been doing this a long time, right? So let's say, you know, you want to be a black belt, and you want to do those certain things. You can't by just living your life however you want to live your life. You have to close off certain choices. That means that during a time when you'd like to be eating candy bars and playing video games, you're practicing karate. That means that you're getting up early in the morning and you're running if you want to be a runner. You have to say no to certain things in order for certain yeses to open up. You have to deny yourself. In fact, Jesus said, unless you deny yourself, you can't even follow him. So I'm trying to help you to understand is freedom is not just about choosing whatever, whenever, wherever. Every choice you make limits other choices that you make. So what you want to do is align your will with God's will, and then you will be as free as you can possibly, possibly be. All right? So let's close this out today. Um, I asked you the question in number eight, what are you doing with your freedom, loving self or loving God and others? And I want to encourage you to freely surrender yourself to Christ today, right? And I already quoted for number 10, when you follow Jesus, he will truly set you free. So I would uh, strongly encourage you, I would admonish you, I would challenge you to live your life freely and to say yes to Jesus. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, no matter what your age no matter what your experience as far as church is, I would encourage you to say yes to Jesus today. Jesus wants to be your Lord, your master. You need to subject yourself and surrender yourself and submit yourself to him.